Dwayne Burge of The Hollywood Reporter calls this film a visual tour de force, featuring overall the greatest underwater sequences ever seen on film. Rita Kempley of The Washington Post says she'd sooner believe that Moby Dick could swim up the drain pipe. And Letterboxd user Stefabski gets all Gen Z on us and says wet Ed Harris call me a bitch and bring me back to life challenge. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the abyss. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters, and welcome to Ruined Childhoods. Greetings to you, Dan. Greetings to you, our listeners. Hey, Dan, how's it going? It is going at 180 knots. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, you uh, know, Chris Elliott's character? Uh, I... I <laughs> Bendix? I'm one of the characters that talk. No, uh, no, so yeah, and just in thinking about the abyss and thinking about water speed, and also having watched, uh, rewatched a few scenes of it uh, shortly before coming to record. Oh, I, I just have that, and I'm thinking about the uh, the scene in the movie where it, the it, the opening scene where the uh, the U.S. sub right. is, uh, you know, the the. You know, what we find out, spoiler alert, is the alien, uh, you know, kind of like coming toward them really fast. Like, Nothing can go at 180 knots. Yeah. Well, life seems to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, before we get into the abyss any further, first, I'd like to talk uh to just to once again say how much I enjoyed doing an episode on Love Me Tender, the bizarre Elvis uh, Civil War era pro Confederacy film of 1956, and on the last episode, I I was mentioning, you know, I wonder if there is a movie that does focus on you know a brother, like one guy that goes in perhaps dies in war and the like fiance or whatever marries the brother. And I was thinking about it at the time, but I wasn't positive. So I didn't mention it on the podcast, but indeed the movie brothers, the 2009 movie with Tobey Maguire, Jake Gyllenhaal, Natalie Portman is a scent. Like basically what happens is Tobey Maguire, who is married to Natalie Portman's character uh, he goes off to war and is presumed dead. And while coping with the death, Natalie Portman becomes very close with Tobey Maguire's brother, Jake Gyllenhaal. And they end up, uh, you know, forming a bit of a romantic relationship. And the daughter of Tobey Maguire and Natalie Portman even is like pro Jake Gyllenhaal. And Tobey Maguire comes back with like very severe PTSD and they basically have to like just ignore the like you know try to hide the fact that anything happened but of course he's 
you know, kind of in a in a certain place with with his PTSD and is, you know, it goes on from there. But anyway, I remember, so, yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for that movie and thinking it looked really good, but also really intense. And I, re- I, I did like, see it. Uh, like when it was first uh, on a streaming service or video or something, but it is, it's very intense. Yeah. Looked very good. And I thought I was like, Oh wow. To- Toby Maguire doing some acting and uh... yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, you know, I rewatched the trailer because I was like, let me see if I rem- am remembering this correctly. And yeah, I was. And it was, yeah. You know, Toby Maguire's performance is, is really phenomenal uh, Jake Gyllenhaal doing his Jake Gyllenhaal thing. Uh, Natalie Portman doing her Natalie Portman thing. But yeah, Tobey Maguire definitely doing something a little bit different. Um, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to just uh, mention that before we move on to the abyss. And uh, you know what? No plans yet to do Change of Habit, the final Elvis acting performance. But, you know, I'm I'm yet. jonesing. I'm jonesing. Yet. Yeah. It, it, it will happen. You know, I mean... We will be coming up on the 45th anniversary of Elvis's passing. Right. Um, next August. So perhaps that's the, maybe that's the appropriate time. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know. I'll be honest. We don't plan that far ahead. <laughs> no, we don't plan more than a week in advance, essentially. So rarely, 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 rarely. if ever. Yeah. Rarely, if ever. Yeah. So Dan, I, Let's talk about the abyss because this one uh, we can we can there's a lot to there's a lot to cover here. Not only is it a lengthy movie and we didn't even watch the like director's cut that is even lengthier, right. but uh for what seems like it should just be a pretty cut and dry, you know, 2-hour movie really goes the distance and and takes it even further than that duration-wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I know, didn't the, mind though. No, 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 no. There, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Uh, and this movie in gets right into it too. Yeah, it doesn't it, like give you any fluff at the beginning. It's just like ba bam. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Pretty much. So. Do you want to? Do you want to go into a do a synopsis before we start? Uh, do I chatting? Sure. I bet you do. <laughs> I bet you do. Okay. Uh, and. Dan, please, you know, listen closely. And if there's anything that I do get wrong, uh, let me know afterward, because there were certain things when I was writing up the synopsis where I'm just like, is this the way that it happened? Or is this the way that I just interpreted that it happened? And, you know, there's just a lot of things going on with, you know, Cold War, you know, not just literal Cold War, like this is that, but like also like allegorical stuff with, you know, fear and, you know, of the NTIs and stuff. So I'm just like not sure if there's certain things that I'm inserting in here that didn't actually happen. So you can uh, flag me on those. I will pay attention. (laughs) Okay. All right. Here we go. After a U.S. Navy submarine containing nuclear warheads encounters an underwater anomaly, it crashes into some giant rocks and inevitably sinks. The Navy contracts an underwater drilling operation that's close to the crash and happens to have a team of specialist divers to go through the crashed sub and look for potential survivors. They are are accompanied by a small team of Navy SEALs led by Lieutenant Hiram Coffey, who has the bigger task of recovering the warheads before the Soviets get to them. 
They are also joined by Dr. Lindsay Brigman, the designer of the underwater drilling rig, and also the wife of the drilling team's leader, Virgil Brigman, aka Bud, though they are currently separated due to irreconcilable differences. At the submarine, Lindsay is taking photos and notices an unidentifiable moving light that she can only consider to be what she calls an NTI or non-terrestrial intelligence. In order to fulfill his side mission, Coffee takes one of the small subs to recover a warhead, but timing isn't on their side and a giant hurricane is moving in above the surface, resulting in a collapsed crane that crashes into the main rig, killing several crew members. Then, the NTIs send a beam of water into the submarine, where it makes contact with Lindsay, Bud, and the gang. But Coffee has gone mad and, in a fit of paranoia, believes that it is Soviet technology and shuts a door on it, forcing it to collapse. In an effort to attack the NTIs, Coffee activates the warhead, so Bud sneaks up to him in order to knock him out, but his efforts are thwarted and Coffee steals a mini sub to bring it down to find the source of the NTIs. Bud follows him in another unit, and Lindsay insists on coming along. Bud manages to implode Coffee and the mini-sub, but the activated warhead has now landed on the ocean floor. With their mini-sub irreparably damaged and only one scuba suit, Lindsay knows that the only way for them both to survive is for him to suit up and let her blood freeze and essentially drown, and then drag her back to the main rig to revive her. Her plan works, but not without a desperate struggle. Now, all they need to do is deactivate the warhead, but in order to do that, they have to get there first. The only way for someone to travel safely that far below the surface is to go without an oxygen tank, so the Navy SEALs fill his helmet with an oxygen-rich liquid that would allow him to breathe. Ready to go and only able to communicate via text message, Bud heads down and breaks all sorts of records for deep-sea diving. When he reaches the bottom, he disarms the warhead, but knows that he doesn't have enough liquid oxygen to get back up. He sends a final message to Lindsay, reading, Love you, wife. And a recurring quip about getting one's panties, pantyhose on before he encounters the NTIs and they welcome him on their ship, where he can safely remove his helmet and breathe regularly. They reveal that they have been re reading his messages and were inspired by his last message about loving Lindsay to set him free and save the crew revealing themselves also to the U.S. Navy. I guess it turns out some irreconcilable differences can be reconciled after all. <laughs> Ed Harris plays Bud. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Mastrantonio? No. Yeah, Mastrantonio. Yeah. Mastrantonio. I, I, can, I can never with confidence say her name, and I think I might have said that on the Scarface episode, but she plays uh, Lindsay. Michael Bean is Coffee. And then there's a bunch of people who, uh, you know, you may have seen or maybe weren't in other things. You might recognize Kimberly Scott uh, as one of the crew members one night. She was in a few. Oh, what movies was she in that we covered? Yeah, well, she she did look familiar. I did not. Uh, was she? No, in... she wasn't in the uh, the Grisham movies. Uh, this was actually her first movie. She was in Flatliners. Okay. Yeah. She was Winnie Hicks in that. Uh, yes. she was in Falling Down. Okay. So she was in the, uh, the Joel Schumacher Batman Forever. She's part of the Joel Schumacher cinematic universe, Batman and Robin. The Schumacher players. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, so you might recognize her. Uh, also there's, well, Chris Elliott is, is Bendix. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, not a lot of other big names. Ken Jenkins is uh, 
one of the like naval commanders. He is probably best known from the show Scrubs. And uh, okay, right, yeah, yeah. And, oh, also, uh, like Todd Graff is is on uh, part of uh, Bud's crew. Yeah, he's Todd. Great. Gr- Todd Graff uh, is known more as a writer and director of uh, the films. I want to say it was called In the Bedroom. Uh, the one with, it was Tom Wilkinson, I think, Sissy oh. Spacek, uh, and also the uh, Camp about yes that was about french woods right or was that timberlake west uh i one of them i don't remember let me check it out real quick uh it would have been about let's see a new york performing summer arts camp i don't think it's called stage door manor which is kind of like the it's a very similar one to the one that i went to called uh french woods festival of the performing arts um that was another like you know young uh, soon to be celebrity performing arts camp uh such a people such as myself you know big podcasters like myself mm-hmm. but um yeah no it's a, a really fun cast and no Todd Graff is really fun he's like this conspiracy theorist <laughs> uh he's a lot oh, of fun I had fun. no idea Todd Graff and I share a birthday he's Do you really October 22nd Happy belated to Todd Graff yeah, uh, we are recording hippie. this on Halloween night. Yes. Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah. So Todd Todd Graff and there. Todd Graff is also has a supporting role in uh, a, a guilty pleasure comedy of mine that I ha- actually haven't seen in years. Opportunity knocks. Oh. He plays like Dana Carvey's best friend. Oh, that's that. cool. Yeah. Fun movie. So, Dan, this came out in 89, I think August of 89. Yeah. Uh, do you remember seeing this? You were, what, almost 12? Uh, yeah, I would have been almost 12. Uh, I did not see it in the theater. I was... It was either a rental or an HBO thing. Like, I was uh-huh. interested, but I don't remember having as much interest in it as so many of the other movies that came out that summer that such a I big one was really excited yeah. to see. Yeah. The abyss wasn't really on my radar. I mean, James Cameron really wasn't on my radar at that point. Is this what his third movie? Is this his third or his second? I was trying to think of like what alien came between... was aliens. Aliens, oh, aliens was before aliens this. was his Terminator aliens. Was aliens. His second. Yeah. yeah. So, so this was after aliens. Yeah. So I, uh, I mean, it's hard to talk about this movie without discussing James Cameron's own fascination with the ocean. And, uh, you know, this movie does feature some uh, records broken about deep sea diving and then James Cameron making uh, life imitate his own art by breaking deep sea records in his own... like Essentially, the little like pods that are in this movie, like he had his own... Um, and I believe the story is that uh, he came up with the idea for the abyss after like reading an article in National Geographic about, you know, the unexplored ocean and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it's also at a time where, you know, he uh, he had just done aliens and it's kind of this is essentially like an aliens, but in or an alien movie in the ocean, which, of course, is like a no brainer. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I know that in the director's cut, the aliens uh, show themselves to be 
much more of a threat, not so much in uh, their actions to the crew, but when uh, Ed Harris is like down with them, they kind of reveal their intentions to kind of like wipe away (laughs) the human race. But his like love you wife text inspiring them to like let everybody survive. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I read as the, uh, you know, the the alternate ending to the director's cut is where the NTIs are going to send these massive tidal waves. I mean, basically yeah. like a an Old Testament flooding of of the planet. Right. Because also it's like in, it, you know, where it's the Cold War and it's also, you know, uh, 1989 so towards the end of right, the cold yeah. war but of course when this was being written and shot i don't think that that was quite on the horizon yet so it, it you've got this like oh well there's cold, the cold war plus there's all the actual conflict going on in the world and i think that that was their the idea was that they were kind of observing and deciding whether or not to uh yeah uh, you know deciding our fate as right. as a planet and uh as we that, decide that the fate text, of movies in terms of reboots and sequels and prequels and remakes. Yes. Will a last minute intercepted text from Ed Harris change our <laughs> our opinions? Yeah, uh, no, imagine that talk about of all things like before it's time about this, the uh, advent of text messaging. Right. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. So a uh an important aspect also of this movie that you can't talk about this movie without discussing this is how James Cameron at the time was going through a divorce from his wife uh, and producing partner Gail Ann Hurd, uh, who was a producer on this movie. And so there's a lot of very cynical language about love and marriage that is just like, you know, he's taking it from his life and uh, you know it's it's you know what watching it with knowing that is really bringing like a whole new element to it and of course you know creators put their lives into their work and you know maybe that benefits the the end product or maybe it's to its detriment and you know perhaps this one was maybe a little too uh, heavy on that but i don't know maybe uh, although i i found it to be uh, it's tough to look at because there's there's definitely a lot of so there's a lot of misogynistic language in it yes which first of all considering the time and also considering like the types of characters that this is mainly about mostly like, you know, these guys who are military or oil, you know, in the oil business. But also I feel like the, the tone of it favors uh, um, Mary, Miss Lindsay, uh, Mary, Mary Elizabeth Mestrantonio's character, because I, I think like the whole time, even when everyone else is complaining about her, it's like, you know, she's, she's right you know that she's going to make the right decisions and yeah anytime you know when michael Bean when when they're on the the transport and he calls her mrs brigman and she says she's like don't call me that he's like well what do we call you sir right well there's uh, i also want to play another uh part where 
you know, the Mrs. Brigman thing comes up. And then I'm going to go on a little bit longer into uh, a, a further discussion between Lindsay and Bud uh, about both the vessel that they're in, which she designed, and their failed marriage. Hippie, you're going to give that rat a disease. Hi, Lindsay. Well, well, Mrs. Brigman. Not for long. You never did like being called that, did you? Not even when it meant something. Is that one night in flatbed? Yeah, Will. Yeah. Here, say hi. Hey, one night. It's Lindsay. Oh, hi, Lindsay. She does a little gagging motion. Yeah. So what are you doing down here, Hot Rod? You need me? Nobody knows the systems on this rig better than I do. Once you're disconnected from the Explorer, you guys are on your own for however long this storm lasts. I mean, what if something was to happen after the surface support clears off? What would you have done? Wow, you're right. Us poor dumb old boys might have to think for ourselves. Could have been a disaster. You want to know what I think? Jesus, look where this thing is sent. You want to know what I think? Not particularly. I think you were worried about me. Well, then that must be it. No, seriously, I think you were. Come on. It's okay. It's okay. You can admit it. I was worried about the rig. I've got over four years invested in this project. Yeah, you only had three years invested in me. Well, you have to have priorities. So I feel like, you know, that relationship is very much the relationship between a like creative type director and a producer, the person who's there to keep things together, that's there to like make sure that everything runs smoothly, that's put their, you know, put a lot of work into something and doesn't want to see it collapse because of, you know, maybe impulsive decisions. So uh, I don't know. I, I definitely see the parallel between their, you know, I, I look, I don't know what Galen heard and James Cameron's relationship was like, but as their professions being director and producer, uh, you know, it definitely makes a lot of sense to me that the relationship between Virgil and, and, um, and Lindsay, I keep on going between Virgil and Bud, Bud and Lindsay is, you know, a mirror of the two of them. Right. It seems, and I haven't done much digging into James Cameron's personal life, but I went through his trash a few times, but it's all new stuff. It's boring. Oh, yeah, it's just it's all about it's, Avatar it's, 7. It's just all Avatar like yeah, yeah that could, that's all he's going to do. Uh, uh but I think he was with um, Catherine Bigelow was married to Catherine Bigelow after right Gail Ann Heard. Mhm. And then and then uh I guess got divorced Car- uh uh Catherine Bigelow and I th- think was with linda hamilton okay maybe i don't it doesn't seem like james cameron he seems like the type who he's kind of probably challenging to be in a marriage with yeah uh and i'm gonna come back to him being challenging really quick but you know who galen heard married i think in like 91 brian de palma oh, no, who brian de who? palma Brian De Palma. Oh, Brian De Palma. Yeah, so, uh, you know, she's 
got a type in terms of uh, profession, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Yeah. Uh... So, <laughs> right. But another thing about James Cameron being a difficult person is that this movie was a notoriously difficult set to be on. And uh, it had nicknames like The Abuse, Son of Abyss, uh, you know, Life's Abyss and Then You Die. Uh, the scene where Bud is reviving Lindsay uh, was certainly one where there was a huge blow up on set and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio stormed off. And, you know, there were well, other times where like Ed Harris, I think, punched James Cameron and everybody was just always like miserable. And, you know, there was not a lot of thought put into safety on set. And uh, there were times when any any of the cast members could have drowned because they were doing this. They were like really yeah. doing this. It was nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and I had read about that that scene where Bud revives Lindsay that they had done it. They had been shooting it, and then like the camera ran out of film. Yeah, and he kept so, on. And he kept. He didn't tell them to stop. Right. Yeah, and that was kind of what. <laughs> yeah. What set her off? Which I I get because also she's being like slap. She's like laying there wet and like half yeah. naked. And getting slapped and everything. Seriously so, slapped. Like, yeah. Yeah. Not I, stage slapped. No. 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 Yeah. Getting so hurt and just, it yeah. seems like everybody was in the right for being pissed off at James Cameron for the treatment on this. And, you know, I will say, you know, the performances are fantastic. And the tension in this movie is real. And, uh, I don't know, like, hard to say what it would have been like if they were treated humanely, <laughs> but uh, you would hope that it would have been a s- similar performances, but they certainly were, you know, pushed to the limits and beyond the limits, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not yeah, okay. One, not okay. one can only assume that they would have been able to, you know, act and give equally good right. performances. I mean, Ed Harris is... An incredible actor. Like, yeah, I, yeah. And when I saw that uh, he was my age now, <laughs> when he was in the abyss, I was like, oh no, what have I done <laughs> with my life? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it, what it what it was that made people look uh, look older. Then I, I forget what I was watching. I was watching something from like this the seventies or eighties, and there was like this oldish, lo- this older looking guy who's like in a hospital. Oh wait, I think it was like father like son actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when they're doing rounds, and they're like, oh yes, this patient is forty two years old, oh, my and God. he looked seventy, and I'm like, oh no, I, I just turned forty four. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, do I look like that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, so, you know, I I had been following, um, you know, the, this past season of baseball, and uh, why, uh, you know, every now and then I'd ask my phone how old certain players were, and then every time there would be like some players who were like slightly older than I was, and I was like, oh, thank goodness. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, slightly. I think forty one like, is the one... forty one is the oldest. And there's like oh, okay. three play, maybe one player that's like active, you know, actually actively playing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I would expect them to all be like, I don't know, like 
25. It was really upsetting to see some of so how young some of them were. Uh, but yeah. anyway, well, um, but no, anyway, I wanted to go them. back to the tension, not on the set, but in the film. And uh, certainly, yes, the, the revival of Lindsay scene is certainly intense, but the tension that's created when the crane is falling and you only, you don't see anything. You just hear the radar and the boop, 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 boop. Like it getting closer and closer and closer. And you're just like, yeah. oh my God, I can't stand this anymore. It's so intense. Well, yeah, no, I mean, in the context is the, uh, the, the rig is, is down below this, this, uh, you know, it was a, a, craft on the surface and there's a big crane and in the storm the crane get like breaks off yeah and this giant heavy steel crane is just crashing through the water and heading right towards them yeah it's intense it's yeah it really is it's so for anybody who hasn't seen this movie you have to keep in mind there is not a single scene that takes place on dry land Everything is either on the like naval ship above, which is really only the beginning or the very, very end. There might be a scene in the middle somewhere, but otherwise it's underwater. The entire thing is underwater and uh, it really can blow your mind. Like it's the, the times when they are off of their like rig and they're kind of going down to like the depths and stuff, whether it's to check out the submarine or when as well, especially when Ed Harris is like going really, really, really deep, you feel so uncomfortable and you really understand how being underwater like that can drive people mad the way that it did for coffee and um i want to go into a clip that does talk about you know this phenomenon that people experience that coffee experiences um you know as as people go that far underwater there we go y'all start equalizing now they're kind of like holding their noses preparing to watch each other Closely for signs of HPNS. High pressure nervous syndrome. Muscle tremors usually in the hands first. Nausea, increased excitability. Disorientation. In a partridge in a pear tree. <clears throat> About uh, one person in 20 can't handle it. They just go buggo. Look, they've all made runs of this depth. They're checked out. No, I, I understand that. What I'm saying is that it's impossible to predict just who's susceptible. They're so checked out. And then he's the one that's slicing lines in his arm and you know under a table and going real buggo. Yeah, yeah, he's really, uh, really, really good about that. Uh, Michael Bean is really uh, Michael really Bean captures that so good in this. I mean, he's one of uh, you know he's he's one of James Cameron's guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people would probably. Best to remember him as Kyle Reese in The Terminator. Uh, I don't know. I feel like that's where Aliens I probably as well. know him best. Aliens, yeah. Uh, and something that I really love about Aliens and The Abyss is that it's a lot of like, 
you know, real like salt of the earth, like working people that are just trying to like do their jobs and stuff and and things kind of get out of hand. You know, well, yeah, whether it's the oh, the ahead. Navy SEALs or aliens or NTIs or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Yeah. They're 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 working working folk doing a job. And that's where and and that's one of the aspects that really made me realize how much this movie probably inspired another movie that we've talked about oh in which uh you know an a, a, a drilling team is oh yeah contracted by the government to do something insanely dangerous uh armageddon <laughs> right yeah except this drilling team isn't that. asked to drill they're just asked to you know host and, right. and dive um, but which it's is just, way it more reminded- reasonable <laughs> But the whole thing with like the, uh, you know, kind of like the gung ho military people who were just going to like just blow everything up and the conflict between them and, you know, the salt of the earth, like, you know, the drill team. So, yeah, I kind of I was watching it and I was like, oh, this is I feel like maybe Armageddon got took some took some cues from this. I'm pretty sure. I I mean, it's fine. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I mean. It, oh. Oh, I was going to say, like, uh, it works really well in this, uh, I think, because they don't really focus so much on the drilling aspect of their jobs. They really focus just on the diving part of their jobs. And, uh, you know, they're they're super knowledgeable about what they need to be there for. They don't have to learn how to become astronauts. You know, that's they don't have to like learn a new thing. They're just doing their right. thing. And the addition of Lindsay, who's just like this ultra smart specialist who clearly just like reads a lot of like, you know, uh journals and and articles and stuff like that and really just learns a lot about underwater biology and, you know, has this whole idea about how she can survive while being essentially dead is um pretty great. And I'm actually I'm actually just gonna play that right now. You put this over. No, no, what are you doing? You're the list. Don't put argue with me, god damn it. Just don't put it look, this is not an option, so just forget about Lindsay, it. Shut right? up! No. Shut up! Put this thing on. Be logical for one Stop second. Logic. Please. Listen. Just listen to me for one second. Now you've got the suit on and you're a much better swimmer than I am, right? Yeah, maybe. Right? Just, yes. So I've got a plan. What's the plan? I drowned and you tow me back to the rig. No. No. Yes, this water. No. Only a couple of degrees above freezing. I go into deep hypothermia. My blood will go like ice water. Right? My body systems will slow down. They won't stop. Lynch. You tow me back and I can, I can be revived after maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Lynch, put this on. Minutes. You put no, it on. It's the only way. You just put this on. Put this on. You know I'm right. Please, it's the only way you've got all the stuff on the rig to do this. Put this on, but please. This is insane. Oh my god, I know. Okay. It's the only way. Yeah. Uh. By the way, she's so good. Like, how come we don't hear anything about her anymore? Quickly don't checks know. to make sure she's alive. And yes, yeah, she's alive. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, yeah, no, she's someone who I 
I I think about her and I think about how she was just in so many of these big movies from The Abyss to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Her first action. movie was Scarface. Was Scarface, And she's yeah. so good in Scarface. And yeah, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, um, The Color of Money. Oh, right, Color yeah. of Money, And then yes. this, you know, it's like, she's been in some other stuff, but, and I know she did some Broadway, but really not a whole lot. And it's like, she's so good in this that it, it makes it hard for me to believe that she would just kind of... Uh, it looks like she's been doing some TV. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, uh, Blind Spot, The Punisher. Okay. Grim is on that. But... Okay. Yeah, no, we I I want to you know kind of want a, a Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio uh, a comeback, sauce. a return. Uh, to yeah, I'm just looking through what else she was in. Um, okay, oh, oh, she was an extra in King of Comedy. Okay, right, yeah, no, we're we're not counting that. Um, no, yeah, but you know, she had a really great, like, very strong, like, early film career like a solid like 10 years or so where she was just in uh you know i'd say tremendous movies i don't know if some of them were really tremendous but she had great performances in big movies yeah yeah no she was yeah big name i mean she was made marion in and and i know it's not the most highly regarded blockbuster of the 90s no Robin but it was Prince a blockbuster Thief, it was huge it was a big movie yeah like big deal yeah. So, yeah, no, and she she's very good. I have to admit, this movie, I, I I've watched it now a few times over the years. I never it, it still I feel like it hasn't fully clicked with me. Really? Okay. Yeah, and there's some things like I look at it and I'm like, this is this is a very good movie. And this is the type, but there's just like something, there's like a barrier and I, I'd say I don't know what it have, is. It doesn't have very high rewatch value because it is so intense emotionally, uh, just in terms of like the tension between, uh, you know, Bud and Lindsay and just the, like, there's just some scenes that are just hard to watch. It's hard to watch people drown whether even yeah. whether they're going to survive or not i mean you know it's just really difficult to see that kind of thing and um yeah maybe that's part of it i understand what you're saying uh and and i feel like there's a lot of cold war movies like movies that are very much like you know focused on the cold war where it's like I, this isn't a a subject matter that i feel it's easy to make like an entertaining movie about like I, I look, I'm not saying that it, that there aren't any good ones. I'm saying it's hard to do it because there are so many that try and fail. And uh, I don't know. It's one well, where it's maybe it has like to the, do with the, the ones that are more about like the espionage and stuff like that. I find more fascinating, but the thing about this movie is that a lot of it is about the fear. It's just the fear that it brought on in people and the paranoia that would come with it, where it's like we hear 
that there are some Soviet like submarines or something like that that either are nearby or could be nearby and could get these warheads, but we never actually see any evidence of that. There's never any type of Soviet activity going on. Um, And I think that that makes it a little bit more interesting than when you straight up just have like, you know, the Soviets very much like in your face. Well, that's the thing is it's parent. It's so much of it is about paranoia, fear of the unknown from, from, uh, you know, from being underwater in the dark. There's the scene when the, uh, the, the one, the one guy, I forget his name, but his, uh, he he's starting to kind of freak out and yeah. Uh, oh, when they there. first get onto that submarine and yeah, sees the yeah. dead bodies and then his yes. light goes out. Yeah, his like his headlamp goes out, and that was a moment where I felt I was like, wow, that's like when you're just that deep underwater, you're in this like so this that crashed submarine. That's yeah. Jammer. So that's John Bedford Lloyd who I know best from Super Troopers. He's like the mayor in Super Troopers. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, in this one, of course, he has like long hair, but he's like this big guy who uh, kind of just gets like scared, <laughs> like terrified. And uh, does he get knocked unconscious or does he well, just he pass sees, out? He sees oh, the NTI. He sees the NTI and gets like, Spooked it into a bit of a coma. It, it bugs him out. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I feel like there's there there are those aspects of of fear. Uh from what I'd read, the the director's cut or the special edition or whatever it's called goes establishes, sets up more of the Cold War stuff. Yeah. That's what that's what I'm saying. Like I don't I don't really feel it like they kind of throw it in. But I don't feel as much like that that shadow of the Cold War right. looming over this movie. Not as much, not nearly as much as I mean a movie like The Hunt for Red October, which yeah. yeah, of course, has to do with a Soviet submarine. Right. So Yeah, and I feel like <laughs> Hunt for Red October is one that like there I always like not always, but there are a lot of times where like I want to watch it, but then like once I start watching it, I'm just like kind of overwhelmed. And uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the, uh, and I'm not super knowledgeable about the Cold War. I think that most of my knowledge about the Cold War comes from movies like The Hunt for Red October, which is probably a super bad thing because like there's so much misinformation. And, uh, you know. Did you know, John, did you know that if two people are speaking Russian, if you close in enough on them on a camera, it'll start, it'll, it'll become English? Oh. <laughs> that's actually that's one of my favorite little tricks in the hunt for Red October where they're I think it's like Sam Neill and Sean Connery and they're speaking uh speaking Russian uh-huh. of course because they're both Russian uh and uh it's kind of like the camera pans in really close on like on it's... an o- or focus it closes in on an object and then the subtitles go away and they start their English they're speaking English and then it's, it pulls back it is so funny to me when uh movies feel like they need to have some sort of like clever tactic to explain why everybody's speaking English. And I remember that happening in the movie Valkyrie. Like I remember seeing Valkyrie and, uh, you know, going from German to English, like there was something like funky that happened with like the subtitles and I, 
And it was like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Very clever. Blah, blah, blah. I do like when they acknowledge it. it no, it's true. I, You've got I, an I Australian th- and, a, and a Scotsman playing Russians. Well, and- I know that this is uh, this is off to- going even further off topic, but I, when there's a movie, and I noticed this in the new Dune, which I enjoyed very much, but when there are people like in the same family, in the same place, and they all have like different accents. And I always find that a little jarring, where it's like, I can understand if the if these people that are on this like planet have a different accent. You're all speaking English, but you have a different accent. Like, you know, that makes sense to me. But when you're all like in the same family, and I understand that some people can have one accent and be in the same family with somebody who has a different one. But like, I feel when like they grew, all grew up in the same place, though. Well, right. <laughs> yes, that absolutely. But yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's just like, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. no, yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I agree with you. That's that's a that's a, a pet peeve there. So, but I do. I anyway. I like when they acknowledge it. But I think maybe if the abyss went more into the Cold War aspect of it, it I maybe that would have been a click. Because I, I mean, I enjoy. I know. I don't know everything about the Cold War, but. It is a subject that I'm interested in and usually yeah. enjoy learning about. I, I, I'm pretty sure that the most of my knowledge about the Cold War comes from movies and television shows. And that's certainly the worst way to, to learn about it. Nope. Uh, nope. The internet. Oh, yeah, Wikipedia, that's true. Wikipedia and the internet, depending on where you're looking on the internet. Yeah, right. Uh, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm thinking of like the Americans and there's just like so many, you know, things where it's like, although the Americans, there's a lot of it that's based in reality. No, it's true. It's true. So it's, it's hard to know. Superman for the quest for peace wouldn't be my, my top source of information about the cold war. I love the quest for peace. It's it's fabulous, but not as a source of, Inform- historical information right but like rocky four maybe that's a good way to really get informed well rocky yeah because i mean you walk away with the message that if i can rocky change, fixes you can change <laughs> we can all, we can all change dan are you looking forward to sylvester stallone's new rocky four cut i, I can't wait to see what he you. does with this I heard he was taking the robot out of it, and I'm not happy. I, I know, I know, I know. Uh, what if he takes the robot out but adds in two more ro- different robots? <laughs> as long as we get the happy birthday, Polly. Yes, yeah. Uh, I'm fine with that. I, okay, here's why I am fascinated by this movie, and I'm so curious to see it, is because Sylvester Stallone is so off his rocker that like the idea that he feels like he has the right to go and take this movie that's how old now it's old from 1985 yeah so we're uh you know 40 years almost you know almost almost yeah you know i don't know uh and it's and to just be like all right this movie that like everybody 
likes just fine for what it is. I'm just gonna go ahead and tinker around with it and change change a lot about it, and uh, including one of the things that people really do enjoy about it, which is the robot. Yeah, yeah. There's something about like yeah. I'm I'm just skeptical because Rocky Four. Rocky Four is also it's the type of movie that it, it it's good the way it is. It's, it's not thirty percent montage. Yes, which is the way it should be. <laughs> yes, it's not. I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it like a quote unquote good movie in terms of like, you know, it's it's we've talked uh, about it on this podcast. Quality. Yes. No, I yeah. know. But I'm just it's, saying like it. Yeah, I don't know why you need to change that. I'm like, I'm trying to think of what are movies that have actually benefited from having a director's cut Blade Runner Blade Runner. Yes, I agree. Um, I think that director's cuts you know, geez, I, I know there are some where it's like 10 seconds shorter. Like there's just like one thing. Well, that was where, the Ishtar. That was the. Oh, was that Ishtar? <laughs> the Ishtar director's cut. There's just so many things where it's like, I, it's fun to see if there is like a big difference, like what it would have been, but it doesn't like cancel out the original. And like, I think that. And not having seen the director's cut or special edition of The Abyss, I can't imagine from what I hear that it's better than this. Because I feel like the the more alien that you have in it or NTI, the like cheesier it can be. And to like uncover this whole thing that they're showing Ed Harris feels weird to me. I mean... I th- I think that the way that they did it was like tastefully done in the sense that it's like it's not gratuitous. That like beam of water that comes in through their, you know, unit is really cool and mm-hmm. of course was like, "Oh, okay, this w- let's do this again in Terminator 2." And uh, it it's fan- it's fantastic. And I also Still love impressive. the moment when um when coffee closes the door on it and then the water just crashes down. Yeah. That looks yeah. so good. I mean, there are effects that just like Terminator 2 hold up and are still impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if this movie was redone today, yes, I'm segueing into that, into that segment. I go. think that certainly it, and I think, did this win the Oscar for visual effects? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think that it would be even more polished looking. You know, there would be things that maybe did look a little bit better now. But like, I think that it has its own fun style to it in the way that they do the NTIs. And you know, I don't know what they'd really do differently. But uh, Dan, what would you do if you were to do something with this movie today? Well, um, a couple of uh, a couple of thoughts I had. Uh, first, I know we've talked in the past about adapting certain movies into like virtual reality games mm. and experiences. And I think that, excuse me, that The Abyss uh, is kind of a prime candidate for that. I think it would be really interesting. And I'm saying this not ever having done any VR type things, but I just kind of get the sense that like, oh, 
this seems like the type of thing that would be cool where you would have to like do something. It's like maybe like, all right, so this is your mission is you have to descend to this number of feet and get inside this uh get get inside the you know the submarine and you have to find the launch codes or like you have to find a certain number of, of yeah. things before you you know and you have to do it in a certain amount of time or Ooh, else Dan, you run out of you oxygen. just gi- you just give me an idea that's not my like idea idea but this would be oh. a really good escape room oh yes it would be a great escape room. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking VR game, but I had also, I've been thinking. Well, I was going to say you, VR game is really interesting because I, I, I mean, it would be one where it is not for the faint of heart because it, right. you know, the, this movie, you feel the claustrophobia. Like you, you're in there with them. It, it really draws you in. So a VR experience would be probably even more so. It'd be cool. Yeah, but it would be intense. And then the other idea I had is uh, to have a sequel. And this movie really, it just ends with the NTI craft, I guess is what it is, coming to the surface and uh, Bud reuniting with Lindsay. And then that's it. It's done. Yeah. So... We're we're left to speculate about a lot. What happens now that uh, you know Earth is aware of the existence of the NTIs? Is there any further contact? Does the craft like take off? Does it go? Does it fly? Does it go back to the bottom of the sea? There's so many questions to be answered, and there's so many possible ways to go. You you could. Uh, you could set a sequel in a future where earth has almost been taken under the wing of these, uh, these beings and, uh, you know, have like, maybe these beings have helped, um, you know, have, have helped the, helped us solve climate change. Maybe there's like, I'm just thinking like, what would be a spin that would be a little different. And what if we presented a future where climbing climate change has been halted or perhaps even reversed uh, with the help of the, this technology? Um, what if the sequel involves the first, you know, manned mission to go to their planet? What if? Well, uh, what makes you think that they're from another planet? Well, that's the whole. That's where that's kind of one of the other options here. Because gotcha. what if they're not from another planet? What if they are these creatures that live so deep down, uh, and and maybe they gain their energy from elements in Earth's core? And uh, although I I guess what makes me think that they're that they're aliens, I guess maybe is the technology that they've developed to kind of intercept the like the messages and i guess track humans it just made me think of something more alien like than underwater intelligent life but okay. either way you could set it up where um you know of course there's got to be i think you start with like there's there's a piece and there's a good things 
and but of course something needs to go wrong and there needs to be a problem i'm trying i kept thinking it was weird because i kept thinking of like cocoon and yeah <laughs> yeah cocoon the return <laughs> and and just like well what but what happens but i think i mean i don't know i i haven't had really the time to map out all of the possibilities but you don't you also wouldn't necessarily need like look it would be great to bring back original cast members but you wouldn't need to right yeah you could have i mean it's been uh you know since 1989 so you know 30 30 some 30 odd years and you know who is Who's in contact with these beings? What do we have like something set up with them? Or did they just, were they just like, all right, we're letting you off the hook this time. Don't make us come back. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. So I think a sequel, I, I think, I, I think a sequel could be, uh, you know, could be a, a really interesting possibility. I feel like a, something like a prequel would really just involve, people coming in contact with with this uh with this thing oh you know young where... coffee yeah <laughs> <laughs> when he was just a little coffee bean bean uh <laughs> uh i was thinking about what if oh shoot i just lost it uh it, it was there and now what it's... if ed harris oh do we know where I feel like was this somewhere in basically my my question is, is the implication that the like alien craft might be like the Bermuda Triangle? I was thinking the same thing. And I believe that that is what they're saying without actually saying Bermuda Triangle. Uh, I know they're near like the Cayman Islands, I believe. I think so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that tracks for me. And that's what I was assuming as well. And it would make sense with what these NTIs kind of do. Uh, from what I could put together, though, I was assuming that the NTIs disrupted the operations of the U.S. submarine in the beginning because they knew that there was, you know, weapons of mass destruction aboard. A shitload of yeah. them. Uh, so it's not like it was an accident. It was, you know, a, a way to prevent that from turning it to something worse. And right. uh, when they come into contact with Ed Harris's crew and the Navy SEALs and, and all of them, they're, you know, trying to suss out what this, like what they're trying to do there. And, um, you know, once they see that Ed Harris's not up to no good. You know, it's after he disarms the warhead that they save him. Um, then, you know, that's where things really turn around. So anyway. Yeah. Bermuda Triangle. So, makes sense. Yeah, it ma makes sense. But also, it also, it doesn't seem like any, anything like this has ever has happened before. They're not like, you know, oh, we lost another one in that same area. Yeah. Yeah, although it's interesting because when the craft, if you will, surfaces, you see all of the like sunken ships and stuff that were like around there. So it does make you wonder like, you know, what are some of the other ones that have encountered 
this situation. I mean, I didn't get a count on like how many sunken ships were were down there or anything like that, but you know, there were a, there were a few. Yeah. But that was really cool. I like that they did that. Yeah, you know what? I I I forgot. I I don't think I noticed that. I don't know what I was really? paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. I don't I don't remember noticing that last time I watched it. So, Dan, I also had a sequel idea. Uh that I I don't know maybe called like Return to the Abyss. I feel like the word abyss. That's kind of is, what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, the word abyss is such a cool word that like yeah. you, it's just like begging for something like Return to the Abyss. Into uh, the abyss. Into the well, I think that Into the Abyss is. Isn't that? I feel like that is something having to do with Into the Abyss. Is that like a special feature on the DVD? Uh, it's a, oh, okay. It's a 2011 documentary, uh, Werner Herzog documentary. <laughs> okay. So it doesn't have to do is. with this. Um, right. So, uh, my idea is, um, so after learning that a terrorist group has planted explosives deep underwater, a naval team, along with some divers taught by Bud Brigman or like under the command of like Bud Brigman, travel to the depths of the ocean to uh, deactivate the explosives. And in my scenario, the NTIs, uh, all of that was kind of put like, I put away as like a secret. Like everybody had to, you know, everyone was like paid off and had to sign NDIs and all that kind of stuff. And, or NDAs. I was looking at NTIs. NTI. Yeah. <laughs> NDAs. And um, it's been so long and it feels like such a an impossibility that it's reached a point in Bud's life where he's not even sure if it really happened or not. He's not in touch with anybody. You know, he still ended up getting divorced from uh, Lindsay and, you know... Everybody else in his life is, you know, maybe from that part of his life is out of his life or has died or something. And uh, so he's just questioning whether it was real or not. And it isn't until he goes on this mission that he is reunited with the NTIs. Um, But I I don't know what like the conflict is. Uh, I'm sure that there would be something about these terrorists who planted these (laughs) underwater explosives that you know, would come into play, but I don't know. Something like that. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it would, so it would kind of, you'd be involving this war and it would kind of be another, like, it, it sounds like almost like we, we're, we're back at that tension point where the, where the NTIs are, are debating our, our fate. And yeah. Well, buddies. I mean, look at look at where we are right now. Things well, are pretty chaotic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I I don't know. I didn't have like a fully you know formed idea, but I would I would like to get Ed Harris back involved. He you know really is the core of this crew. Um, 
And and as I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I was just putting a, a big pitch together before for bringing back Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio again, but you know, uh, so yes, let's get her back too, <laughs> just to support what I was claiming earlier. But yeah, I don't know that that's what I got. Yeah, I mean, there's other possibilities. I just I feel like the way that it it ends and leaves everything so open yeah. that it makes more sense to actually to do a sequel and revisit it rather than trying to remake it. Because then if you're remaking it, it's going to be, I mean, a sequel would kind of have that same comparison, but like a remake would just be, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, it's the abyss, but with like flashier effects. now. Well, so here's something interesting about this movie and in comparing it to other movies that you know kind of like it and i'm really thinking about you know alien movies like outer space movies and a movie like alien or aliens where those are aliens are monsters they are just like killing machines and uh, the what's interesting about the NTIs is that they are intending, so we find out in the special edition, to be killing machines. Um, but they adapt, they learn, they are absorbing information, and they are helpful. But they're not like cute, cuddly sidekick helpful. They're just, you know... Uh, this otherworldly, essentially, being that, you know, sees the, the good in humanity. And I think that any movie now that would do a story about monsters underwater, and I, I know that there was a movie not too long ago, just a few years ago, called Underwater with Kristen Stewart, that uh, is about, like, an underwater monster, essentially, and I just don't know if filmmaking or, or the studios are interested in a in a movie like The Abyss right now where the aliens or whatever you want to call them are actually helpful in the end. It's just not where we are. It's not where we... But are is it not where we are? Like... Are we not in a place where we would like to believe that some, uh, like, m- mysterious, mythical, magical, intelligent being is going to come and, like, save us and get us out of our current state? I think that it is... It's nice to think that that would be possible, but I just don't see it happening. I Maybe I'm being cynical, but I I don't know. It just seems like it's more marketable to have a movie that's about, you know, I don't know, passing the, the buck of terror onto a, a completely separate entity, a non-human entity. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but that's uh, that's also like that's when these movies seem to come out is when there's this like strife and conflict in the world. And yeah, but the thing is, like, there's certainly an aspect of like, 
well, wouldn't it be nice if somebody could come and fix things? Like some some magical thing could just come and fix the problems. Like could just come and fix climate change or could come and fix this or fix that. And I, I don't know. Um, it feels like it's like, all right, we've done everything. Humans are useless. Let's just take care of it. Like, I don't know. And it almost does feel like in the world, somebody's just waiting for some like magical thing to like make COVID-19 go away without (laughs) vaccines and the, you know, belief in science and stuff like that. You know, it's like somebody's just waiting for it to, as our 45th president said, like, and like magic, it'll go away. Yeah. You know, there are people who are just like... Hope, like waiting for that to happen and expecting that kind of thing to happen, but it's as we know, well, unrealistic. I mean, without the vaccine, yeah, <laughs> like there, there right. is a magic yeah. that will make it go away. It's, it's not magic at all. It's science, right? But yeah, yeah. So, like, anyway. there are there are people who just like are sitting back and assuming that something is going to come and just fix the problems, yeah, without actually acting, and. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there is room for a movie where that thing does actually happen, but it's like that would just be too convenient. Or I don't know. What if the NTIs just kind of like set up shop and they're like, "We're giving you a year to figure this shit out," and then like it's it's Old Testament time. Like <laughs> we're flooding everything. Well, but but I mean, the NTIs, to be fair, also don't like fix the problems they just stop themselves from causing more problems you know they bring ed harris back but that's just one guy and uh ed harris it's all you need (laughs) yeah you know he's 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 a good dude in this movie yeah yeah in many movies in many many movies. movies yeah yes yeah so the abyss I think I I think a sequel could totally work, and I I also think that like it, it's just kind of it, you know it feels like almost a matter of time until someone realizes like oh we could do something with this, and especially now if Disney owns it because Fox, oh yeah, then it I feel like it it is just a matter of time before. Like, wait a second. This is a movie that has that people think of, think highly of, and we've never done anything with this. Let's do something with this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder how many. You know, of course, like big James Cameron fans are going to be familiar with The Abyss, but like, I know that for a long time it wasn't on any streaming platforms. We saw it because of stars. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, stars has been there for us recently. The stars Gosh. app is just killing it lately for us. Uh, yeah, so I think that that's only recently that it, it's been on stars because I know that for a long time it wasn't available to stream anywhere. It was on Prime. Was it really? I, I don't remember yeah. seeing it for a long time. Um, it was on Prime, but what's weird is it was a pan and scan. <gasps> really? Version, like, yeah, it was well, a... Well, that's kind of like what I'm saying. It's like, it's... 4-3 ratio, it's, It yeah. is kind of one of these movies that's, uh, you know, 
especially in comparison to other James Cameron movies, the the Terminators, you know, Aliens, uh, you know, Avatar, Titanic, you know, The Abyss is like, you know, an afterthought for for a lot of other people, and I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm. I I don't I I don't have a lot of a ton of affection for it. It's a but it's a movie that I think that there's a lot about it that I really like, and like I'm glad it was made. I'm glad it was made too. I wish that it was made under better circumstances for the yes. cast and the crew. Yes. I you know just makes me sick to hear about some of the stories from the set, and uh, I hope that James Cameron has grown as a director <laughs> and made things uh, more hospitable for his cast and crew. I uh, I would have to imagine, given that he's gone on to make, you know, at least been given way more money to do, uh, you know, much well, bigger projects. But and I I feel like so much of it now is done with digital effects and yeah like the abyss relies a lot on on practical effects and things had to be real yeah so whereas now i mean avatar i think they can just you know you go in and do your thing in front of a green screen and yeah totally that's it yeah it's easy yeah it's easy to make an avatar make seven go ahead (laughs) well i'll believe that it's easy to make an avatar when more than one is out (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. Uh, By the way, I don't think it's easy to make any movie. No, absolutely not. No. Much less something like an Avatar. But, you know, whatever. I don't know. I I can't say I'm, like, clamoring for Avatar 2. Yeah. Okay. Well, Dan. That's great. I'm not going to go ahead and say that this is the same thing as making a movie, but it's certainly something worth mentioning, and that is that you are directing your uh your school's upcoming drama and dan do you want to tell people what that is in relation to our next movie on the podcast yeah so i am currently directing a cast of approximately 30 high school students uh and a crew of over 30 more high school students uh in doing a production of the 39 steps which was adapted from a 1935 film uh an early film directed by alfred hitchcock and that's the movie that we're going to be talking about on our next episode and i will be sure to share some more details about the adaptation of it into the stage version um why the original adaptation of the stage version only had four actors in it um why i feel at times like i am directing the abyss and dan you should do the abyss next year for the drama if i can yeah, no, I'll, I will. I'll work on that adaptation after I finish My Blue Heaven the musical. Right. Is, the ultimate goal is to do My Blue Heaven the musical at the high school. No, but I mean, I I loved I love directing, but like, yeah, it's when you're dealing in high school and like, uh, kids, uh, they're they're great, they're wonderful. Um, but well, it, I'm excited. It's a lot to, a lot to manage. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited for that. And I'm looking forward to watching the 39 steps to, to talk about it in our next episode. Um, yeah. And 
just a heads up, everybody, you know, Dan is currently in the throes of uh, dress rehearsals and leading into the performances. So uh, we might not be on schedule for the next week or two, but we're going to try. And that said, I, I should actually point out now, rather than waiting until it's too late, that uh, the 39 Steps, in addition to having a live audience, will also be, uh, will will have a live streamed, uh, will be yeah. live streamed. And it'll actually, it won't just be like, oh, I'm watching it through like someone's iPad set up uh, on one of the higher rows. It, it's actually going to be a multi-camera shoot that will be directed by someone other than me, who's kind of, you know, it's like directing the telecast, uh, you know, like cut to camera two, right? Uh, things like that going on. So, uh, if you're interested in in more information, visit the website westsidedrama.com. That's westsidedrama.com for, excuse me, for ticket information. And uh, you can email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Check out yeah. our uh, and and check out, of course, we've got our tea public store, which uh, I, I recently obtained uh, a bunch of our stuff and I've been uh, getting a lot Swag, of use out baby. of it already. Uh, nice. So uh, I encourage you to to do the same. We've got a lot of great designs on there. And that's it. We're on Instagram yeah, and, at Rune Childhood's Bud. Yeah, and uh, you know, purchasing things on our T Public Store just helps us be able to, you know, put the show together and rent movies and do all that kind of stuff. So your support means a lot to us, and uh, we thank you in advance for checking that out. And Dan, as you venture off into the depths of the sea, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. 